0: All right, how's everybody doing tonight? You guys doing good? Thank you for hanging out with us on a Mother's Day weekend. Um, I know it's a little bit drizzly and kind of stuff outside, but at least the rain quit, and it's a great place to hang out with, with friends. So um, I'm not going to say I'm excited to share this message, because I've, I've been told I overuse that, that phrase. Um, but something interesting that, that I thought, a couple things that I just want to share with you. First of all, if you see my shirt. Okay, Not today, Satan. I argued with myself for a good half hour, maybe close to an hour, on whether I should wear this tonight. Okay, oh, It's too frivolous. You're making, you're making light of a, of a serious subject. Yeah, but, it's, but it is a serious subject and it needs to be, but yeah, but some people might misunderstand. And so I want to tell you, as I was thinking about that, I just started thinking what a better, I mean, that's really what it's all about. Not today. We get to make a choice. We get to make the choice. We have the freedom in Christ to make choices, good choices and bad choices. And so every day things come our way and we get the opportunity to either say, I'm in or not today, Satan. We get to say that for us and for our families. And so even though it's kind of a cartoon shirt and all that, it really embodies what I think the Sermon on the Mount is about. Because we've been in the in Matthew five, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new here or haven't been in a while, you can go to our website and you can check out, uh, you can download the message right directly on the website, or you can go to iTunes or Google and you can get the messages there and catch up to where we are. But in Matthew five, the the bulk of it is about the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been taking those chunks week by week by week, and working our way through them. Last week, I had a meeting with Pastor John from Jubilee, and we just, we just get together and we catch up and touch base on what's going on. There's a lot going on with him. There's a lot going on with us. And in the midst of our conversation, he goes, so what are you, what are you teaching on? What are you teaching on for Mother's Day? You know, what, where, where are you? And I go, well, we're doing Sermon on the Mount. We're doing week by week Sermon on the Mount. And he goes, and he goes for Mother's Day, you're going to do that too? I go, yeah? And he goes, well, where are you in, in, the, in the flow there on Sermon on the Mount? And I go, oh, it's lust and adultery. <laughs> he goes, wow. He goes, nothing like biting off some meat. And, you know, he goes, most people do, a, do kind of a fluff sermon on Mother's Day and things like, hey, let's celebrate moms and let's talk about all the moms in the Bible and how great that is. And I just said, you know, We could have done that, but I I don't feel that that's where the Lord wanted us to go. And I feel that there's nothing better, uh, no better way to honor moms than to share the word of Christ and to talk about what he feels about the things that are coming our way, the struggles that we deal with every single day. Some of them are imagined. Some of them are real physical struggles. Some of them are little things that... Satan blows into big things. Some of them are little temptations that Satan uses as a weapon against us. And so when I went back to thinking about should I wear this shirt, I went, yeah. Yeah, because it's all about freedom in Christ and the choices that we make. Am I going to partner with Satan and his thoughts and his demons and his ways today? Or am I going to partner with what my Lord and Savior would have me do? with what's written down in the Bible for us, what the Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit directly. What are my choices that I'm going to make? You see, when we talk about freedom, I think about when I do prison ministry sometimes, the prisoners don't have that kind of freedom. They do from the moment they open their eyes to the moment they close their eyes, their day is regimented. You do this, you do that, you do this. Here's a list of things you don't ever do. And if you do, you're in trouble. And and it's very, very regimented. And so a lot of times when prisoners get out, they have a really hard time adjusting back to society because freedom is hard. You would think that being incarcerated is hard. Living under the law is hard. Being told every step is hard. But no, it's just the other way around. Freedom is hard. Freedom is hard because now it's up to us to make choices. It's up to us to weigh right and wrong, to weigh what the world would say or what sounds good or feels good or feels good in the moment versus the life-giving word of God, which isn't always the easiest path, by the way. Sometimes it's the hardest path, but it's the one that brings life and not death. And so that's what we're going to talk about. (coughs) We are going to dig into... Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30, the the topic of which is lust and adultery. So those of you who don't want to hear a message on this, I would recommend, you know, sitting down and listening to it, because if you don't want to listen to it, (laughs) that probably means you need to listen to it. I got you, didn't I? You're like, honey, grab your stuff. Oh, wait, no. All right, so. Let's get to it without, without further ado. Now, I want to let you know, this is not an R-rated message, okay? This is the Word of God. So here's where we're going. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Let's throw it up on the screen there. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Remember, in the NASB, New American Standard that I use, when it's capitalized like that, that means it's referring back to, again, Old Testament, scripture that's quoting old testament scripture in this case exodus and the ten commandments that's where that comes from but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out and throw it from you for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body, or one of the parts of your body, than for your whole body to go into hell. So I'll point out a couple things for you, just to help you see some context here. When you see something in the Bible, especially when it's quoting and it says, you have heard, Jesus uses this phrase all the time, you have heard that it was said. When he says that, he's saying You have heard teaching, okay? And he's speaking in this case in Matthew, um, and the Sermon on the Mount was delivered mostly to a Jewish audience. So when he says, you have heard, that's their rabbis teaching them law. Not only their rabbis, but historically and generational, going all the way back to Moses and the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said. That's what he's referring to. Okay. In other words, he's saying, I know what you've been taught Okay? Then the next phrase out of that is almost always, but I say, or but I say to you. So what he's saying, you have heard that it was said. That's typical Jewish teaching, and it's the law. Jewish teaching primarily deals with the law. Okay, Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy, it's all law. Okay, So you can follow that, but Jesus addresses the heart. The law does not address the heart. It leaves very little room for heart. But Jesus is all about heart. He wants your heart. He wants to explain to you how to have your heart in the right place. And so that's where we are with this. In fact, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, to guard your heart. I think we got that on the screen too. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. That's a proverb written hundreds of years before Jesus. Acknowledging how important it is to guard your heart. That was written to people who were under the law. Who didn't have the Holy Spirit that they could go to and say, help me discern right and wrong. They strictly had law. But even then, the proverb says to guard your heart. Recognizing how important it is that your heart, even in the midst of being under the law, is in the right place. So let's get into the scripture here. Matthew five twenty-seven. You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." Now, in Exodus, right after this, uh, or right after the verse in Exodus, it actually goes on to say what the penalty for adultery is. The penalty, and adultery is one of those things that's not okay. There are different shades, and there's different meanings. And adultery, in this case, in Exodus, really means now adultery. Means adultery. Okay, it means it means sleeping with someone. Outside of marriage. Okay, that's what it means. There's no gray areas, there's no shading. And in Exodus, it goes on to say the penalty for that is death. The penalty for adultery is death, quite simply, no gray area, no appeal. That's what it is. But Jesus says the actual penalty is far worse. Far worse. A hardening of a heart. The death and destruction that that act and that mindset can bring is actually far worse than death. And I'm going to go on. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay? Now, this says with her. It goes the other way. Okay? It's very easy in a message like this to address the men only because this is something that historically men struggle with more than women. But women do struggle with it. The enemy is not really specific on how he comes after us and who he comes after. He's after all of us, and he'll use everything that he can to get at you. With men, one easy inroad is lust and the eyes, and the things that you see, and the decisions that you make. That's a harder inroad with women sometimes. Again, historically, that doesn't mean the enemy can't use it. Sometimes those things we don't expect are ways that he comes after us. We need to be on our guard about that. But lust, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery. Now, this is not a passing glance. This isn't a passing glance. This isn't walking down the street and... You turn your head, something catches your eye. This isn't appreciating beauty in someone. That's not what this means. That's an impulse. That's a human fleshly impulse that we will all have. The difference is how do we deal with that impulse. Okay? When we talk about lust, lust is an impulse that's entertained. Lust is an impulse that's entertained, whether it's acted on physically or it could be something that creates a fantasy in your mind. I'm going to think about what this would be like. I'm going to create a scenario. I'm going to envision this or that or the other thing. You're entertaining that impulse. You've taken it beyond something caught my eye. I appreciate beauty, okay. And now you're taking it a step further. That's when lust comes in. It's an impulse fantasized about or acted upon. Let me show you how this looks in the Bible. You've all heard the story, or many of us anyway, have heard the story of David and Bathsheba, right? David was anointed by God as the king of Israel, as the future king of Israel. As a leader of men, David was, David was a man after God's heart. And even he failed in this arena. Very, And I'm going to point it out to you, for those of you who don't know it. This is in 2 Samuel. Samuel was one of the prophets, and he wrote extensively about things like this. This is in 2 Samuel. Verse 11, 2-5. Now when the evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. Again, David was king. He had that. He could get up and he could walk around and do anything that he wanted to. And from the roof of his house, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? All right, let's stop there. So far, what I have read, has David, the king, has he done anything wrong? Has he done anything wrong? He noticed a beautiful woman. We can argue, and it's a message for a different day. What was David doing there anyway to begin with? Why was he even there? And I've heard that taught, that if he hadn't been there to begin with, none of this would have happened. I argue that it would have happened because he had to deal with some things in his heart. And it was just waiting for the situation and for the right time. Okay, And so here's what happened. So at this point, I don't believe David has done anything wrong. He has noticed beauty, and he's sent one of his people, hey, go go find out what her story is. Nothing wrong with that. Next verse. David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. All right, let's stop again. Has he done anything wrong at this point? I hope that was a no-brainer for most of you. If you heard the person next to you mumbling something otherwise, you can have that conversation. Oh, well, I don't see what's okay. At this point, he knows that he is that Bathsheba is someone's wife and yet he sends for her and has her come. Now, the rest of this story, which again is a message for another day, this whole situation goes terribly wrong. Okay? But what's the difference between the first part that I read and then the after part? The after part is an impulse that was acted on. It's okay to have an impulse. It's okay to to immediately have that fleshly thought Because we're human and we are fallen. So you're going to have that. And in some cases, it's okay to appreciate the beauty that God made. God made man and woman in his image. And his image is spectacular. Something incredible and flawless to gaze upon. And so why would we not, in his image, look at one another and go, you are amazing. You are an amazingly beautiful creation that God made and appreciate that and then move on. This is not an impulse that you act on. Here's how this looks in Scripture. I want to tell you that it's the action, the intent that's in our heart that makes a difference, it's not simply noticing. It is acting upon, and it's what in your heart. And I'm going to show you in Scripture where this is. This is in John 13. I'm not going to put the whole thing up on the screen, but it's kind of long. So just listen to this. John 13, verses 1 and 2, says, and I've read this to you before, so bear with me, but it fits this point exactly. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him. Here we are. We're at the dinner. The devil has already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. But he has not acted on it yet. He's been prompted. He's actually acted a little bit. He started going down that road. He's thinking about how this is going to happen. And he's thinking about doing it. But he has not acted on it yet. Next verse, though. Actually, not next verse. This is skipping down a little bit. This is, again, John 13. But this is verse 26, 27. This is how it ends up. Remember, Jesus is walking around the room, and they're all saying, no, it's not us. Who, who is it that's going to do this thing? And Jesus said, it's the one to whom I give this bread. And so he's walking around the room. I, don't, I picture it being kind of like a survivor thing where he's like, you know, or what's the bachelor where he's got the rose? Different. Okay, never mind. I should not have gone there. Sunday is the one we're going to record because I won't say that on Sunday. (laughs) Let's pick up Scripture. How about that? That's safe. John 13, 26 and 27. Jesus then answered that it is the one to whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. After the morsel... Listen to this. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Judas had that option right up until the last moment. Jesus was offering him the bread. Judas knew that what he was about to do was wrong. He knew that his Lord and Savior was standing directly in front of him, offering him a choice. Are you going to betray me? Or are you not? The choice is yours. Do you not think Jesus could have put a stop to it right then if he wanted to? He gave Judas the choice. The moment Judas made the conscious decision to take the bread, Scripture says Satan entered into him. That's what happens with us. The moment that we make the conscious decision to partner with the enemy and his demons... We open a door to Satan in our lives. Now, want a show of hands, when I talk about Satan and demons and the devil and things like that, does it freak anybody out? Good. Because a lot of people get really freaked out over that subject. Okay? In fact, a lot of pastors will tell you, and some well-meaning pastors have actually counseled me over the years, you don't want to talk about that subject too much because it freaks people out. Church, I think I'm doing you a disservice if I don't let you know that Satan is real. And if Satan is real, that means demons are real. And if you believe in angels, you have to believe in demons. And if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in Satan. They are out there. And it is a constant warfare. The Bible says warfare is is going on around us in realms that we cannot see. Why? Because if we'd see it, we would freak out. And rightly so, God saves us from that, from knowing, but it doesn't relieve us from the responsibility of understanding that it's real and it happens. Satan is after you and he's after your children and he's after your family. And I'm not doing you any favors if I don't talk about that. But here's the good thing is that Satan is after you, his demons are after you, but through Jesus, we have authority and power over Satan, over his demons, and every scheme that he could possibly throw at you, we are victorious over that. And we have been given the authority. It's not through my authority that you have it. It's not through anybody's authority, but Jesus, and he delegates that authority to you. Jesus promises us in scripture over and over again that I have given you authority and nothing can harm you. Now the only reason we can be harmed by schemes of the enemy and by demons operating in our life is if we don't know it. It's really easy to lose a battle you don't realize you're in. You don't even know there's a fight and you've already lost it. Church, I think it's my responsibility to let you know that you're in a fight, and you have the choice every day to say, "Not today, Satan." You have that choice, and that's what this is about. Matthew five twenty nine and thirty. Let's see. Did I give you that? I don't think I gave you that. <clears throat> but again, it's back through. The, it's through that scripture I read at the beginning. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Remember from last week, I was teaching on the last subject and it referenced hell as well. That hell at this point that Jesus is referring to is an actual place. It's the Hinnom Valley. It's a place also called the Valley of Slaughter, southwest of Jerusalem. That at the time well, prior to the time of Jesus saying this, had actually been used as a place of sacrifice. They sacrificed children. Okay, the followers of Baal used it over and over. So there had been hundreds of people sacrificed in this area. And in Jesus' time, that area was actually a garbage dump. And the garbage was perpetually on fire. They would throw all of the, all the garbage from Jerusalem and the whole area into this area, and they would burn it. So it was this perpetually burning, smelly, nasty place of burning garbage. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about hell. It would be better for your whole body to be tossed into that place than to have these problems, than to stumble with lust, And to stumble with adultery. Now, Jesus isn't recommending here self-mutilation. This is one of those circumstances where he's using metaphors. He's not really saying, okay, I want you to literally cut your hand off. Literally pull your eye out. But he's saying that would be better than the damage that's created when you go down this path. It's better than that. The eye. He talks about the eye and he talks about the hand and I think that that's intentional. The eye is one of the surest ways that the enemy gets into our spirit, okay, into our soul. That eye, that lingering glance, that glance that's a little too long. Or may I say that glance in secret that you do hope nobody notices. That's when it raises from the point of appreciation to the point of lust and to the point where it's going to affect your heart. Because now you're keeping secrets. You're keeping secrets from your spouse. You think you're keeping secrets from God, but he knows, and he knows what's in the heart. And this is not where he wants you to be. The hand, he talks about the hand. I think the hand is one of the, also, is one of the other ways that things like lust and adultery get started. Time and time again, I talk to people and I counsel people over this issue All the time. And a lot of times, it happens with a touch. It happens with a handshake. A hand on the shoulder. Something that goes beyond something that you would do, let's say, with your sister or your brother. And you're just hanging on a little too long. You put the hand on the back just a little too long. And maybe it's unwanted to begin with. That's why he's talking about eyes and hands. Because those are two quick ways that the enemy can use. And he uses that all the time. The fallen man, our fleshly man, is constantly at battle with this. But the good news is, through Jesus, we do have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will show us if we simply take the time to ask. And most often, he's going to testify to you exactly what you already know. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't send that text. I shouldn't be talking to this person alone. The renewed man, the renewed man has been given all of the weapons to win this battle. See, lust and adultery are actually destroyers. They're the two biggest tools that I see that the enemy uses over and over again to destroy God's perfect plan for us. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God made man, God made woman. He said, this is good. This is good for them to be together. Go and propagate the world. Fill the world. But when lust and adultery come in, that plan gets derailed. The devil will tell you that it doesn't hurt anyone. The devil, a lot of times, one of his common lies is that he'll say, it doesn't really hurt anybody. What she doesn't know won't hurt her. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. Oh, it's just, it's just a little flirt. It's no big deal. Oh, it's just a fantasy that I'm having in my mind. It's no big deal. Satan spends a lot of time trying to convince us that that doesn't hurt anything. But there's so much evidence out there. All you have to do is look around to see how prevalent the enemy's work is in our lives and in our culture, especially. The damage is real. It leads to things like sex trafficking, it leads to things like porn addictions, it leads to things like broken marriages. It leads to things like shame and separation from God. See, if the enemy can get in and just do nothing more than shame us, then we want to hide. We want to hide from each other. We want to hide from him. And we're certainly of no good to be used by God if we're in a place of shame and hiding. And sometimes I think that's the biggest damage that's done. Let me give you some statistics about some of these things. Porn sites in general receive more daily traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined. 35% of all internet downloads are porn related. Think about that. People who admit to having extramarital affairs, these are just the ones who admit to doing it. We're over 300% more likely to also admit consuming porn than those who have never had an affair. And then this last one is just, it's heartbreaking to me. This is just last year's data from the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. Secular agency, their job is just to strictly try and as accurately as possible report what the facts are. Almost 40% of marriages end in divorce. That's Christian marriages, that's non-Christian marriages, that's all marriages. And in fact, many of the re- much of the research that I've done has shown that Christian marriages are actually a little bit higher. Are a little bit higher than those who are non-Christian and what I believe it is is because a Christian marriage is something the enemy hates. He wants to do anything he can to get at it. If you're if you're not a Christian and you're married, sure he doesn't like that, but he's going to leave you alone because you're not doing any damage to him. A happily married Christian couple, that looks bad on his side of the plate. So he's going to come after you. Being a Christian does not make you exempt. It makes you a target. So when the devil tells you that it doesn't hurt anyone, he's lying. It hurts you. It hurts those around you. But maybe more importantly than that, it derails the calling that God has on your life. It's one of the top schemes that the enemy uses to derail you, to get you on the sidelines of what God has for your life because of shame, because of the fallout, in some cases the legal fallout, of not following this command. It's in direct opposition to the calling that God has for you. Because if God had called you to be married, then he's calling you to be married, to be knit together as one with that person, and together you have a calling that no one else can fulfill. And when there's divorce or there's shame, that derails that calling. Now hear this, that does not stop that calling. That calling is still on your life. The calling that God puts on your life is he doesn't take that back. That is a gift and a call that he has on your life. And so the fact that there's any other factors involved doesn't stop that from happening. But what it does sometimes is it makes us take the long way around. It takes us out of the game for a while. And that's up to us. Are we going to allow that to happen? Or are we going to continue to pursue what God has for us? Listen to this scripture. This is Ephesians 4.1. If you think of what I just said, uh, maybe I don't know if that's exactly right. <coughs> Listen to this. This is a long section, so bear with me. Ephesians 4. I'm going to read this. First of all, just verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord... This is Paul actually talking. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of With which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And then skip down. Now just listen to this. I want you to listen to the words and the meaning in the words. This is chapter 4, Ephesians, verse 17 through 24. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So as I wind this up, I want to go ahead and call the worship team to start coming up and getting ready. It is never too late. No matter where you are with this, if this is something you struggle with or something that something that someone you know struggles with, it is never too late to repent and allow your mind to be renewed by the Lord. He's working that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the gifts of the Spirit. You should be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit lead to a renewed mind. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's happening in you. You need to make the decision. Am I going to continue going down that road of the renewed mind? And the fruits of the Spirit that are growing in me every day to become more Christ like in my everyday? Or am I gonna say to myself, it's okay that I partner with Satan and his demons and this work that crushes the things of the Lord? It is direct opposition to the things that the Lord wants for me. The enemy is trying to crush those things. It's never too late. repent and step away from those things. You simply have to take authority over it. Close the door and say, not today, Satan. Not tomorrow and not next week. We have that choice to make. And it's not hard. Jesus says that I have given you authority over snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the schemes of the enemy. Nothing can harm you. That's in Luke 10, 19. He also also just simply says, resist the enemy and he will flee. Resist doesn't mean, hey, we have to have this special ceremony where we do this. How do you resist something? You just say, not today. It's that easy, but the enemy wants us to think that it's going to be this long, drawn-out battle. It doesn't have to be. It only has to be if we don't make that decision. If we think that we can say, I'm gonna take this Christ-like part of me that's growing and I'm gonna follow that and I'm gonna be this Monday through Friday and then on the weekends, I'm gonna go ahead and be this guy or this girl. We can't do that. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can segment that and control that. And the enemy loves to have us in that place. He'll tell you, you're doing fine. It's not creating any problems in your life. It's not creating any problems in your relationship. You enjoy it, right? God wants you to be happy. But it leads to death. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. What we need to do, quite simply, is to repent of partnering with that spirit and close the door. Repent of thinking that it's okay, thinking that we have pride and we can control this spirit somehow. We are severely misled if we think that we can control a demon that we have given access to our spirit. So what I wanna do, I'm gonna close us in prayer and I'm gonna pray over you and I want you to let the spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you on if this is an issue that you suffer with. Now, I'm not talking about somebody I know struggles with this and I need to rush out of here and go tell them they need to repent. This is about you and this is about me. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and tell you if this is something that you need victory over in your life and if you do, the prayer of victory will immediately follow and you can walk out of here free and with that door shut and then you get to decide again tomorrow Am I going to or am I going to say not today? We'll get that choice again probably before we even make it home. It's a choice we get every day, but we have the choice. Church, this can be a very hard message. This can be a very, especially if this is something you struggle with, this can be a message like, wow, that was a downer of a message. Wow, happy Mother's Day. But here's the thing is that we have victory over it. It's not a bad thing knowing that you're in a battle if you say, here's how you win. Just do this. Jesus died to give us that. So I'm gonna pray over you and I just want you to receive this prayer and then yourself speak to God and let him minister to you. Then when you are ready, we'll be serving communion down here. We have uh, wine and bread. We'll be serving you up here and at the crosses we have juice and Brad, if you'd like to serve yourself, you can do that at the crosses. If you want to just sit there and let the Lord minister to you and speak to you, there's nothing I or anybody else could say that's better than just letting the Lord speak to you. If you need prayer, if you need somebody, to, I just, I don't know how to deal with this. Can somebody help me through this? We do have prayer team in the back who would be happy to walk through this with you. I would be happy to walk through this with you if it's something that you're struggling with. But take authority and just receive this prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that that we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer unaware of sin in our lives. We're no longer left defenseless to even understand what's going on in our lives. Lord, you sent Jesus to die for us, to give us victory over the schemes of the enemy and over sin in our lives. In your eyes, Lord, we are blameless. It's only in our heart that we are dirty and sinful. And Lord, we no longer want to partner with the lies of the enemy. We no longer want to give Satan inroads into our lives, into our families, into our marriage, and into our heart. Lord, your word says that if I if I hold wickedness in my heart, that you won't hear my prayers. Lord, I repent of harboring wickedness in my heart. Lord, we all agree that we want more of you and less of the world. So Lord, take this wickedness from us. We repent of holding it in our heart. Anything that is not of you, God, we repent of allowing it into our heart and we refuse to partner with it in the future and so Father as we sit here right now Lord show us all of us show us if there's any darkness in our heart whether we're aware of it or not show us the darkness and what it's doing to our life Lord don't let us be misled don't let the enemy lie to us show us how this darkness in our heart is hurting us and those around us. And now, folks, I want you to take that thing. If the Lord showed you something, whatever it is, and you say this prayer of repentance, you can say it out loud, you can say it to yourself, Father God, I repent of believing the lie from the devil. I repent of allowing this spirit into my life. And Lord, by the authority given to me by Jesus, I hereby claim, I claim authority and dominion over that spirit and I command it to flee in the name of Jesus. I repent of ever partnering with it and Lord, I accept your truth that I do have the power to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And Lord, I will follow your ways and not the ways of the world. Father, I thank you for all that you do for me. I thank you for all that you do for all of us every day. Lord, giving us victory over everything the enemy tries to steal. We thank you, Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen feel free to start moving around and taking communion whenever you're ready if you just want to stay in worship you can do that and Jonathan will dismiss you shortly (laughs)
1: Oh <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for filling us with your presence. Thank you for this evening as we just celebrate
0: what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for your grace, for the victory we have in your name. And God's people said, amen. Well,
1: feel free to hang out as we worship a little bit more. And uh, go and make sure you hang out in the foyer. Check out the Compassion children. Have some cupcakes and we'll see you soon. We love you guys. aware of your presence, let us experience the glory.